I turn now to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning, which is in Genesis 46, the first 27 verses. So here is God's holy word as recorded infallibly by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Moses himself, writing down this record of God's covenant history. Again, Genesis 46, verses 1 through 27. Let's attend with reverence to the reading of the Holy Word of the Living God. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob And his sons who went to Egypt, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jalel. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Pad and Aram with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were thirty-three. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Eri, Eridai, and Erali. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Ishua, Iswi, Beriah, and Sarah, their sister. The sons of Beriah were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Bacher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The son of Dan was Hushim. Son of sons of Naphtali were Jaziel, Gunai, 
Jezer, and Shilem. These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who went to Egypt, were seventy. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us. At this time, may he bless its reading, its exposition, and its hearing. In the last week's reading, or in last week's reading, we saw that Jacob learned that Joseph was still alive and was, in fact, governing the land of Egypt, second only in power to Pharaoh himself. And when Jacob got over his initial shock and that shocked disbelief when his heart stood still within him, as Moses says. He agreed then to go, as suggested, to Egypt with his whole family, where Joseph had promised to provide for them, all of them, during this time of famine. Today we see that as Jacob makes his way to Egypt, the Lord speaks to him, and promises him certain blessings. Some of these are reiterations of things he's already promised. Most of them indeed are. God promises Jacob, I will make a great nation of you there, in Egypt that is. Number two, I will go down with you to Egypt. Third, he promises, I will bring you up again. And fourth, Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. That is to say, Joseph, your beloved son whom you have mourned these 22 years, will be with you when you die. You will die in peace. As we consider the meaning and the implications of these promises, we find one of the great themes of Genesis reinforced again. This should hardly surprise us. This is repeated over and over in Genesis. God is faithful. The Lord is a God who keeps His promises. He is a God who can and should, therefore, be trusted. Moses tells us, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Notice first that in this uh, part of Genesis, Moses predominantly calls Jacob by the new name the Lord has given him back in chapter 32, Israel. Though we see both names appear in this passage. Israel means prince with God, or strives with God. Uh, This new name the Lord gave to Jacob will be the name by which Jacob's descendants will be primarily known. Sometimes they're called the sons or the children of Jacob, or just Jacob. Uh, A few other terms are used, Jeshurun, for example, in the Old Testament, but more often than not, the nation descended from Jacob is called Israel, or the sons or the children of Israel. It was back in chapter 34 that we uh, find the whole family uh, called Israel for the first time, when Moses refers uh, to the defiling of Dinah as a disgraceful thing in Israel. Uh, Joseph's brothers have been called the sons of Israel as they have previously visited Egypt. 
But here in verse 8, really is the first time those scripture refers to the whole family as the children of Israel. That's the national name for this people group by which they will be predominantly known in history uh, from this time forward. So here we have this fledgling nation migrating to Egypt from the land of Canaan. The man Israel, Jacob, uh, makes his way with his family toward Egypt. Moses has indicated before that uh, Jacob had settled at Hebron. If that's where he started from, it's going to be about 25 miles along the road toward Egypt that they would come to Beersheba. In Genesis 21:33, we read some time back that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. In Genesis 26, verse 25, we learn that Isaac built an altar to the Lord there. So at this place where both his father and his grandfather had sacrificed and called upon the name of the covenant Lord, Jacob offers sacrifices to the God of his father before he leaves Canaan. Despite knowing that he is about to see Joseph again, he's probably understandably trepidatious here. He's, he's uh, got some anxiety about leaving the land of promise. Perhaps he's aware that it was nearby, at the city of Gerar, not very far away from Beersheba, that the Lord had told his father Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. That too was in a time of famine. And so maybe Jacob is thinking, well, am I being faithless? Am I forsaking the land that the Lord told my father not to leave during a time of famine? Am I not showing... Or am I showing rather that I don't really trust the promises of God and that he'll preserve us in this land? In chapter 28, the Lord had promised Jacob as he was leaving Canaan the first time when he was fleeing to Paddan Aram from the wrath of his brother Esau, the Lord told him that he would bring him back to the land of Canaan. Doubtless Jacob would like a similar assurance before he leaves. He wants the Lord to give him this assurance before he leaves the land of promise, probably. Certainly before leaving the land of promise, that land that was promised to him and his descendants, he intends to worship the God who had promised that land to him. Moses calls the Lord the God of his father, Isaac. Perhaps to remind us that Isaac had built an altar to the Lord in this very place, but also to show us that Jacob was worshiping purely. He wasn't worshiping uh, a God of his or someone else's imagining, nor a created being like an angel, whether a holy or a fallen one. He's worshiping the Lord. Jacob is worshiping the covenant God who had passed his promises that he made to Abraham down to Isaac and through him to Jacob. And the Lord graciously speaks 
to Jacob when he makes his sacrifice in this place. Just as he appeared to him in a dream before he left for Paddan Aram many, many years before, many decades in fact before, the Lord now appears to Jacob again. Moses says, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. It could well thus be a dream as before. That's most likely what visions of the night means. In any case, visions implies that he saw something. He saw the Lord in some way, and he certainly heard the Lord speaking to him. Moses writes, Then God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Now We've noted before that when people say that, it's not because they expect that the person they're talking to doesn't know where they are. Uh, It's just the customary way of saying, I'm listening. Here I am. The Lord tells him, I am the God of your father. Interestingly, he doesn't call himself Yahweh here at this time or even Elohim, which is the other predominant word used for him. But he actually just says in the Hebrew, Ha'el Elohi Abicha, literally, the God, God of your father. And he shows himself to be that same covenant Lord Yahweh, though, who had given his promise before by restating those promises he'd previously made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Indeed, the first three elements of this promise are reiterations or restatements of things that he's already clearly said. Only the last element, Joseph will put his hand on your eyes, is new. So let's consider carefully what God promised Jacob, the man called Israel here. As I've already noted, Jacob was likely fearful, a little trepidatious at least at such a time as this. After having returned to Canaan, he probably had no intention ever of leaving again. But the Lord now says, do not fear to go down to Egypt. Why should Jacob not fear? He's in the land that was promised. Isn't that where he's supposed to stay? But the Lord gives him four reasons not to fear going down to Egypt. Reason number one, the first element of the promise in verse 3, For I will make of you a great nation there. This is a restatement of promises that were made by the Lord to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob himself already. Some examples of that would be to Abraham, the Lord said in Genesis 12 too, I will make you a great nation. In Genesis 17, 15 through 16, as for, as for Sarai, your wife, the Lord speaking to Abraham here, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be from her. And that was a, a promise applying to Sarah, similar things that he had applied to Abraham earlier in that very chapter, Genesis 15, verse 5 through 7. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. 
Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. To Isaac the Lord had said in Genesis 26, verse 24, I am the God of your father Abraham, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And to Jacob himself in Genesis 28, 13 and 14, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. So we see the Lord already beginning to fulfill that promise in this passage when we see how many descendants Jacob has in a relatively short time. Already two generations of Jacob's descendants number uh, more than 70 individuals or at least in that neighborhood and when we count all of the uh, all of the uh, daughters-in-law as well this is a very large family. We won't take the time to consider every detail of the genealogy that's recorded in uh, verses 8 through 27, but I I want to note a few things about it. First, if we count carefully and if we eliminate Ur and Onan, who were reminded of the sons of Judah who died in Canaan previously, if we count Jacob and Joseph and his two sons as well, then we get a list of 70 Israelites in Egypt, as verse 27 indicates. Secondly, not counting Jacob or Joseph and his two sons who were already in Egypt. We get the 66 persons in verse 26 who came with Jacob and came from his body. So 66 persons were descended from him. So Moses says this doesn't count the wives of Jacob's sons or grandsons. Third, we might also note that some of these said to have come with Jacob were actually probably born later in Egypt, but that doesn't mean the Bible's lying to us. Uh, For example, two sons of Perez are listed in verse 12 when Perez was probably at this time still a very young boy. Uh, Counting some yet to be born is akin to Benjamin having been listed in chapter uh, 35 among the sons of Jacob who were born in Paddan Aram when we know Benjamin actually was born when they got back to Canaan later on. It's not an error, uh, but a convention of the Hebrew language. Uh, No reader of Hebrew would have considered that to be erroneous. Also, Hebrews 7, verses 9 and 10 speaks of Levi and his descendants as having uh, tithed to Melchizedek because they were still in the loins of their father Abraham when he tithed to Melchizedek. Uh, So we can see that that these individuals being counted, uh, even though some of them may not have yet been born, uh, is... Uh, there is a legitimate biblical reason for counting them, and then we're going to see here in a bit uh, why is it uh, that you would count some and not all? I mean, couldn't you say there there were millions who came with Jacob because millions of people were descended from Jacob? But before we get to that, we'll note a fourth thing: only one daughter and one granddaughter of Jacob are mentioned in this list. Uh, Whether he had any other daughters besides Dinah, there must have been more than one granddaughter. But only Sarah, 
the daughter of Asher is mentioned by name. Why would that be? All of this is done for a reason. Because Moses is arriving at a particular number. Moses is not so interested in giving us a a literal exact count of the very people who came to Egypt, but the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to give us a count of 70. 70 is a very specific number, and a very symbolic number in Scripture. For one thing, 70 is a multiple of 7, which is the number of uh, perfection and holiness. Think of the completion of creation in six days, and the Lord rested on the seventh day and hallowed that day. Ten being a number of completion or roundness, and so 70 would indicate a complete number of God's holy nation. Uh, as verse 6 and 7 indicate, all of Jacob's descendants were in Egypt. They didn't lose anybody along the way, and nobody said, no, I think I'll just take my chances here in Canaan and stay behind. They all went. For another thing, 70 is the number of nations that's listed in Genesis chapter 10. When the nations of mankind rejected the Lord at the Tower of Babel, the Lord, in effect, rejected them. But he has chosen this family from whom to build his holy nation, in Genesis 22:18 he told Abraham in your seed the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 28:14 he told Jacob in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's going to be through this nation of Israel that the Lord's blessing will come to the nations of the world. Jesus Christ. So this choosing or this uh, uh, counting so that there is a number of 70 here is pointing to the fact that God's reclaiming the nations of the world is going to happen through this particular people. If you read in Acts chapter 7, you'll note that Stephen says 75 people uh, came into Egypt. That actually reflects uh, the common manuscript that would have been around in the Greek language of the, uh, of the, New, the Old Testament that Stephen would have been able to read. And those, many of those manuscripts include uh, two sons of Manasseh and two sons uh, and a grandson of Ephraim in the list. And, of course, they wouldn't have been around yet either. One other thing of note, though, is that uh, we know from chapter 38 that Ur, Onan, and Shelah were born to Judah by a Canaanite woman and that Tamar, the mother of Perez and Zerah, was probably a Canaanite as well. She uh, was local uh, when, um, when she was married first to Judah's son Ur, and then to Onan, and we remember that. Uh, that's an episode which she had to contrive to conceive children by Judah. But Moses goes out of his way to tell us in verse 10 that Shaul, the son of Simeon, was the son of a Canaanite woman. Well, that seems to suggest that the rest he listed here probably weren't sons of Canaanite women. This, that strongly, strongly suggests that the marriages uh, like that were not normal among Jacob's sons. And so it has been speculated, but reasonably so, that probably most of the sons of Jacob found their wives among Abraham's descendants elsewhere. People who would have known the Lord, perhaps. 
Well, so much for the first reason that Jacob should not fear to go to Egypt. We won't take uh, nearly as long as the rest of the reasons, but the Lord would make a nation of him there. The second element of the promise, I will go down with you to Egypt, is important. Of course, we know the Lord is present everywhere. So that's not surprising that he would also be in Egypt if you go there. If you, if you ascend to heaven or go to the lowest depths, uh, he's there, as the psalmist says. So why should we be surprised that if you go to Egypt, he's there too? Well, of course, the Lord means something more profound than that. This is the promise to be with him as he has been with Joseph, for example, to work his special purposes in and through Jacob wherever he goes. He's speaking of being with him covenantally. I will remain with you. You're not leaving me behind, Jacob, if you go to Egypt. I told you before I'd be with you in Paddan Aram until I, and I would remain with you until I had accomplished all my promises. I'm not leaving you yet, nor will he ever leave or forsake Jacob. In Genesis 28.15, he had made such a promise As I mentioned, before Jacob went to Padanaram, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. So he's assuring him here, I will keep you when you're in Egypt. I'm not leaving you. You're not leaving me by going there. Go ahead. I will stay with you. Reason number three, the third element of the promise, I will bring you up again. Uh, By the way, it's because Egypt was in a river valley. Uh, That's why you'll notice consistently in the scripture people are said to go down into Egypt and come up out of Egypt. Uh, It isn't because they have the same conception that we do of having the the south at the bottom of the map or something like that. Uh, Didn't matter which direction you were headed to Egypt from east or west or whatever, you're, uh, you're going down into Egypt because you were heading down, just as people always talk about in the Bible, going up to Jerusalem because when you get to Jerusalem you have to go up to get into the city. So you go down into Egypt, you come up out of Egypt. But here he says, I will bring you up again out of Egypt. Genesis 28.15, he had also said, I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Jacob will be buried in the land of Canaan. So literally, at least his body will come up out of the land of Egypt. But this is really a more profound promise than that. It's that Jacob, through his descendants, will come up. The nation of Israel will come up out of Egypt to possess that land that God had always promised that they would possess. The Lord predicted this, telling Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, that his descendants would live in a foreign land, and then be afflicted, and then he would judge that land for that affliction of his people and bring them out. So God's already beginning the unfolding of that promise that he made to Abraham. Reason number four, the fourth element of the promise that Jacob should not fear to go down into Egypt, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. In other words, basically the Lord is saying, you will die peacefully in the presence of your beloved son Joseph 
the one that you have missed and thought was dead all of these years, you're going to be in his presence. You're not going to, as you said, would happen if they, if the brothers came back without Benjamin. You're, you're not going to go down with your gray head is not going down with sorrow to the grave. You're going peacefully and enjoy with your son Joseph there, whom you've missed by your side. He'll be the one who closes your eyes when you die. Well, verses 5 through 7 record that Jacob obeyed. And he went down into Egypt without fear, with confidence in the Lord's promises. The Lord indeed accomplished all of the things he promised here. It would be obvious to Moses and to someone reading uh, in his day when this was written down, and any Israelite thereafter who read what Moses wrote, that God had kept these promises. And it should be obvious to us. The Lord is faithful. He keeps His promises. He is a God who can be trusted. So heed Him, believe Him, trust Him. Let's pray. O faithful God, who has indeed kept Your promises, grant now that we might ever more trust in You, knowing that You are our faithful Creator, our Sustainer, and our Redeemer, through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we pray in his name, amen.